Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. If you're, if you're on site or you're watching online and you're looking at me and you're like, man, Pastor Jacob just looks a little bit different this week. He looks, he looks tougher. He, look, he looks more manly. Uh, don't, don't adjust your TV screen or anything. I, I just, I saw Top Gun this weekend. And so I think through like osmosis, I, I received some of Tom Cruise's machismo. Um, has anyone seen this movie yet? Top Gun Maverick? Whoo, that movie. It rocked my world, man. It was so stinking good. Saw it this weekend. You know me. If, you've, if you're a part of Cornerstone, you know I try to fit movies into like every sermon. I'm unfortunately not going to be able to fit this one in today. I tried to. I was like, how can I make this movie fit into my sermon uh, today? Um, I will say this. After that movie was over, like my drive home, I never felt cooler driving our SUV than I did on the drive home. I'm like, ah. Just needed some aviators, right? Granted, it was like midnight on the way home. But anyways, if, if you're looking for a last-minute Father's Day gift, take your dad to go see that movie. It's that good. It's really good. So enough for the commercial for Top Gun. <laughs> we'll hop in to the rest of today's sermon. I can't believe we are already at, uh, we're getting close to the final weeks of this series, which is crazy. It feels like we just started this the other day, and here we are gearing up towards the end of Talking Elephants Tipping Cows, um, if you've missed any of these weeks, I'd encourage you to go on our website, cornerstonechurch.info, and catch up with where we've been. Basically, what we've been doing throughout this series is we've been having a, a discussion. That's why the stage is set up like this, and we don't have the podium like we normally have, uh, anything like that, because what we're trying to do is visually illustrate the point that we are not preaching at you this series, we're talking with you. We're having a discussion. So it's almost like we want you to visualize that you are up here in this empty seat, all right? And we're having this, this conversation about some very, let's just say it, touchy topics, right? We're, we're talking about the elephants in the room, and we're tipping over some sacred cows about what we may have believed about those elephants in the room. So this is where we've been so far. We've talked about very light, very easy topics like politics and hell um, we've talked about suffering. Last week, we talked about sex, which let me tell you, normally, so our, our Sunday mornings, whenever we go live, we get a couple hundred uh, views on our live streams. We, we have a lot of people who join us online. But then what we do is we get the sermon, and we, we clip it out, and we post it on YouTube so people can watch the sermon later in the week. And that gets, it, it normally, between 50 and 70 additional views on top of the live ones. Um, but last week, so again, 50 to 70 is like the average. Last week, talking about sex, the last time I checked, it was at 127 views, like triple. <laughs> so needless to say, we're just going to cancel everything throughout the rest of the year and just talk about sex the whole time, since that seems to be such a hot, hot topic. Um, <laughs> but today we are, we're continuing in that theme of, of difficult topics, of politics, hell, suffering, sex, and today we're going to be talking about, uh, if you're a note taker, our sermon title today is My Own Worst Enemy. What we're talking about today is we're talking about, uh, it's kind of the overarching umbrella of depression, but we're talking about depression, we're talking about self-harm, and we're talking about suicide. We're going to be talking about these tough, tough issues today, and what I want to hit from the onset is the idea that this is not like a fringe issue that we're discussing today. 
Like this isn't something that's like, oh, depression, suicide, self-harm, that's, that's somebody else. Um, this is something that I guarantee you, it affects you. It may not be you who's going through depression. It may not be you who has self-harm issues or suicidal thoughts. But let me tell you, you know somebody who does. Like, the statistics bear it out. You want to hear this? This is, this is crazy. 20% of the United States, 20%, that's one in five. One out of every five people you meet has a diagnosable anxiety disorder, most of which being depression. About the exact same amount, about 20%, have at one point in their life at least once self-harmed. They've cut themselves. They've hurt themselves. And another 12 million combat suicidal thoughts. And I'm not talking about a fleeting, man, what if I ended it right now? I'm talking about, no, I'm thinking about it. I'm planning it. How would I do this? These are big numbers. These are big issues, things that we need to focus on, things that we need to talk about. Another thing I want to hit uh, from the onset is just some misconceptions about these things. First off, we, we hear all the time about suicide, that, hey, if you, if, if you kill yourself, you go to hell because of that. That's, it's like an unforgivable sin. That's like a tradition. That's not true. You cannot find that in Scripture where you kill yourself and it sends you to hell. That's not true. That's not accurate. That's a misconception. I just want us to clear from the onset. Another misconception um, that we need to just get out of the way from the start is the idea that Christians don't struggle with depression. That, like, if you're a Christian, you should just be able to just pray harder. Like, what, why, are you, why are you sad? Have you tried worshiping today? Have you tried reading your Bible today? That'll pick up your spirits. Sometimes. But if you have depression, sometimes not. Sometimes it won't help. This isn't an issue that you can simply just, like, pray away. These are real things that people are really dealing with, and these are some misconceptions that we've got to toss aside. I want to read this. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as we get ready to really dive into the meat of the sermon today because I guarantee you if you are someone who is dealing with depression, suicidal thoughts, self-harm, or you know someone who's dealing with it, you hate the fact that this is happening. No, no one is like ecstatic that they're going through this. People aren't cutting themselves because it feels good. People are doing this because they are going through it. They're going through it. People have suicidal thoughts because they're going through it, and they don't want this. But this is such an encouragement uh, and such an encouraging word from Scripture. I want us to look at it. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, 2 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 8. The Apostle Paul had some kind of affliction. We have no idea what it was. The only way he described it is as a thorn in his flesh. We don't know if it was something physical, if it was a mental ailment. We have no idea. But it was terrible, and it ravaged him. To the point that he prayed to God, this is where we pick up in verse 8, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles. And may we add today and in the depression that I may suffer. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Can we bow our heads and pray just real quick? Heavenly Father, help us today to hear your word, to allow it to transform us, to allow it to, to uh, see your truth and how we can combat, how we can fight back against uh, uh, mindsets that seek to derail our life and take us off course from the purpose and the potential that you have in mind for us. Help us to do that today, God, through the power of your spirit. 
We love you and pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, can you repeat this after me? Say, my weakness is his strength. One more time. My weakness is his strength. You see, that is like a a just foundational statement we're going to build on today. We've got to believe that's true. That even in our weakest, most vulnerable moments, at our lowest, that moment can be made into a strength. Because my weakness is his strength. We need to rely on Jesus. That's a starting point. Another starting point that we need to focus on today as we uh, talk about this issue that we're dealing with is the idea that there are Uh, uh, And again, it's all going to be kind of under the umbrella of depression. Um, But there are two different types of depression. Um, There's situational depression and there's chemical depression. So situational depression, if you're in this room and you have uh, air in your lungs and blood pumping through your veins, you've experienced situational depression. Because life has a way of doing that, doesn't it? Things not working out. Man, I don't care how old you are or how young you are. You've been through it. You have been depressed. You've gone through a situation that has caused situational depression. That, that's all of us. And then there's another component. There's chemical depression. That's where your body just flat out does not make enough or makes too much chemicals in your body that actually influence you to be depressed, to actually see life. It's, I've talked to people who have um, since been on medication, but they said, man, before getting on it, it's, it's like you're walking through life with a haze and you don't even know it. Until you take the medication, your mind starts to clear up and you're like, that's how I was seeing things? That's how I was seeing myself? That's how I was seeing the situation of life that I was in? So the situational and chemical depression, we're going to be talking about both of them. And both of those at their core, if we can really get down to like the, the truth of the matter, what depression wants to tell us and what it wants us to believe, it, it, it's all about believing a lie. Believing a lie about who we are, about our situation in life, about our value in life. So one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves when it comes to depression, when it comes to suicidal thoughts, when it comes to self-harm, is what am I believing to be true about myself? What am I believing to be true about myself? What you believe about yourself dictates how your life is going to play out. It just does. It just does. It dictates what's going to be able to take you down, what's going to be able to wrap you up in depression. Um, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Eden, um, her and her, my middle child, Evelyn, they're similar in so many ways, but they do have some like very stark differences. <laughs> and one of the biggest differences is Evelyn is like all tomboy. She's all, hey, let's go play outside. Let's skin our knees. Let's pick up bugs. Let's get, like, like, like run. Let's get sweaty. Let's do all this different stuff. That's all her. So she just naturally gravitates towards sports and athletics. Like she just, she's more of a natural at that kind of stuff. Eden, on the other hand, is like, get that bug away from me or I'll hit you. <laughs> like, I don't want to sweat. Like, if I glisten, that's too much. I don't even want to do that. Um, so she naturally wouldn't tend towards sports. Um, but it's funny, before she even really tried any sports, she started to believe about herself that she'd be bad at them. Before she even tried them. Just because her natural tendency isn't there. So we were trying to talk her into trying something. We're like, hey, honey, I mean, you don't have to keep doing the same sport over and over, but we, we want you to try something. We want you to try some kind of extracurricular. So eventually, after talking with her and getting to the core of it and realizing she just was believing this about herself, that she wouldn't be good, we talked with her about it. We're like, honey, everybody needs practice. Even Sissy, the reason she's good at certain things is because she does them a lot and she practices them. So 
We were able to convince her into to trying basketball, my favorite sport, sport I grew up playing. So she gets into basketball, and guess what? She loves it. And not only does she love it, she's, like, really good. She has a good little shot. Man, on defense, she's, like, white on rice. She, like, she just does not leave that, that offensive player alone. Like, she's, she's really good, and she's actually, she loved her first season, and she can't wait for her second season. Now, she would have completely missed this. Like, she would have completely missed how much fun this is, the growth that she's experiencing, the personal growth, the friendship growth. She's making new buddies at school because of it. And she would have missed all of this because she was believing a lie to be true, that she wouldn't be good. It's important what we believe to be true and what we believe to be false. If we believe lies about ourselves, no wonder we can fall into depression right? Before we even get a chance to really do anything, you can believe that you are bad. You can believe that you'll never be able to succeed, that you'll never be able to find a good relationship. You can believe these things and they can just completely take you down before you even really get a start. We've got to make sure that what we're believing is true. And let me tell you, truth, the truth that we need to seek out, it's not something that we find. Truth is someone that we follow, right? It's not something that we stumble across. Like, like Eden shouldn't stumble across the truth that, oh, well, I'm a great basketball player. Now let me find my identity in basketball. Let me, let me find my value in the fact that this is what I'm good at and sissy isn't. So this is where I'll find my value. Truth is not a, a something. It's a someone, and it's someone that we follow. I love how Jesus phrases it. Um, there's a scene in John chapter 18. Jesus has been arrested. He's standing before Pilate, and him and Pilate are having this discussion. Uh, and Pilate asks Jesus, what is truth? What is truth? And Jesus essentially replies and says, you're talking to it. <laughs> I am truth. Anyone who hears my voice hears truth. And I love the way Jesus like flips the table on Pilate. Jesus is basically telling Pilate, you're asking the wrong question. You think truth is a what and truth is a who. You're asking what is truth. I'm truth. And if you ever try to find truth apart from me, especially truth about yourself, truth that you build your life on, if you ever try to find that apart from Jesus, do not be shocked when it leads to depression in your life. Just don't. Don't be shocked because it's always going to lead to depression because that will never fulfill. It will never, uh, it will never fulfill you. Jesus is the only thing that will. Truth is not something we find. It's someone we follow. I know that to be true from my own life because, like I just told you, um, I love basketball. I played it my whole, my whole life from whenever I was really, really little all the way up through my senior year. So looking forward to my senior year. It's, it's the only sport that I played in high school. I tried other ones whenever I was younger, but whenever I started in high school, I'm just going to focus on this. Um, Loved it, had a, had a good basketball career, couldn't wait for my senior year, and then we got a new coach, my senior year. New coach, we only had a couple seniors, and he's like, do I really want to invest a lot in seniors who are going to be gone in a year, or do I want to invest a lot in sophomores who are going to be here for a couple of years? Um, and so we kind of like rebuilt. And so me and the other two seniors on the team, we just, we did not get a lot of playing time. Everything that um, we thought was going to happen didn't happen. And I'm someone who had invested so much time into basketball, so much of my life into basketball. Like I said, I didn't play any other sports in high school. That was it. I can't even begin to tell you how depressing that was to me, how frustrating that was, the bitterness that I was trying to, to avoid and, and not let get a hold on my heart. That was so difficult. 
thank God I had people in my life who had already built into me the idea of, hey, don't build too much on basketball. You can love it. You can enjoy it. You can spend so much time in it. Don't let that be the core of your identity. Don't let that be the truth about yourself that you value above all else because one day it will be gone and who will you be then? You see, truth is not something we find. It's someone we follow. We have got to have our identity in Christ. If we don't, everything else will let us down and it inevitably leads to depression. That's where the fight against depression has to start in finding our truth in Jesus, but that's not where our fight against depression ends. This is, the, this is just the truth of the matter. It's very, um, very easy in church to just come and be like, hey, I wonder what the pastor's going to talk about today. I don't know, but I bet it's going to be Jesus. I bet whatever the problem is that we're talking about in the sermon, the answer is going to be Jesus because it's always Jesus, <laughs> right? Like everything's always Jesus. And to a degree, yeah, he is the focal point of our faith. But whenever it comes to things, especially like what we're talking about today, when it comes to fighting depression, when it comes to fighting suicidal thoughts, self-harm, it's not Jesus or, it's Jesus and. Like we, we have done such a terrible job in the church of being like, hey, it's just, just Jesus, just pray it away. Pray away your depression. Pray away your suicidal thoughts. Just start praying more. Every time you want to cut, just pray instead. Just everything's prayer. Everything's Jesus. And yes, to a degree, but it's not Jesus or these things. It's Jesus and these things. Jackie Hill Perry, she's a a fantastic Christian author, and she talks about the importance of Jesus and therapy. (laughs) Right? It's not Jesus or therapy. It's Jesus and therapy. It's Jesus and counseling. And yes, it's Jesus and and in some cases, medication, right? It's, it's Jesus and, not Jesus or. I love how it says this in Proverbs uh, 15, 22. It says, plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. Plans go wrong whenever you have lack of advice, lack of counsel, lack of help. Whenever you just try to focus in on just one thing, plans fail. But when you have a multitude of advice, a multitude of advisors, a multitude of help, that's when success comes. And my goodness, how true is that when it comes to our mental health, especially the fight against depression? We need to rely on outside help. It's not Jesus or, it's Jesus and. And I am so sorry that we have built up this idea that there should be a stigma around these things. How awful, like how awful is that? I, I remember a pastor speaking um, years ago talking about how uh, in the sermon he mentioned about speaking with his counselor um, and you could tell that he was getting some weird looks from the audience whenever he said he had a counselor. <laughs> and so he real quick kind of paused and said, um, I, I can see there's some uncertainty that your pastor has a counselor. I want you to know I'm not going through like an affair. I'm not going through financial struggle. I'm, I'm not going through like an addiction problem or anything. And that's precisely why I have a counselor, because I don't want to go to them only after stuff hits the fan. (laughs) I want to get to them beforehand. But we've created such a stigma around these things that only weak people need it, and only people who don't have enough faith need medication or need help, when that just fact of the matter is not true at all. There should be zero stigma around these things. It's Jesus and, not Jesus or. God has given us these things for help. He has. I, I, I think about, uh, I just went and saw Ron Roundtree, an incredible guy in our church, saw him in the hospital um, on Friday, 
he's going through it. He's, he's got some really serious uh, health issues. Keep him in your prayers, uh, him and his wife, Cheryl. But I was in there speaking with him and talking. As I was getting ready to leave, I was like, Ron, can I pray with you? And he said, absolutely. So we started praying. And I prayed, obviously, for God, the great physician, to touch his body. But you know what else I prayed for? I prayed that the doctors would be able to work to the best of their ability, to the best of their know-how, that the medication that they give him would be able to do what it's supposed to do and get him back on the road to health and the road to recovery. Because it's not Jesus or. It's Jesus and. It's Jesus and these things. And actually, a lot of the times, the answer to our prayers that Jesus gives us are these avenues. It is these things. Just last night at our uh, Saturday night service, we had a, uh, a family, a, a husband and wife and two little kids. They reminded me of my little girls. They looked around the same age as them. Um, they, they came. It's an immigrant family. They've been in the United States for five days. They're from Moldova. Um, and you should, <laughs> you should have seen me, Debbie, and Bruce trying to talk with these people. We, we, me and Bruce were joking that our Moldovan is a little rusty. Like we're <laughs> not, not up to speed on the dialect at the moment. So we're, we're using like Google Translate, Daniel Post trying to help us. We're using Google Translate to try to communicate with them. Um, and so we eventually were able to talk with them a little bit here and there. And through the broken English, through the broken uh, communication, we were able to uh, see what they were going through, that they had been praying to God for help. Um, and so that's exactly what we were able to do. We were able to help them. Um, it, was, it was an awesome thing being able to help this family. Now, how crazy would it have been if this family came and they were sitting outside and we're talking with them and we offered them food like we did. We, we, uh, Deanna Shriver went and got them some food. How crazy would it have been if they were telling us, you know, we're, we're praying to God for help. We, we need help with food. We need help with gas. We, just, we, have, we have nothing. And we give them some money for gas and we give them food. And they say, oh, thank you. We, we don't need it. We're praying for God to help us. <laughs> How crazy would that have been? <laughs> It would have been like, well, uh, yeah, we, we, we know you are, and this is the help. <laughs> like, this, this is that help that you've been praying for. This is what you're asking God for, and, and we're here to help deliver that. And it seems so nonsensical, and like, well, of course the people wouldn't do that. But how often do we do that? We're, we're struggling with depression. We're struggling with suicidal thoughts. We're struggling with, with self-harm. We're struggling with these things, with anxiety, all of these things in our mind. And God has given us all these avenues. He's given us counseling and therapy and medication and all these avenues of help. We're like, nope, don't need that. I'm waiting for God to snap his fingers and just change everything for me overnight. That's not how it works. It's not Jesus or, it's Jesus and. Jesus and therapy, Jesus and counseling, Jesus and medication. There's no stigma that should be associated to that. Now, um, as we talk about these things, the, the, the reliance on Jesus and our identity in him to avoid uh, depression as much as we can, our reliance on therapy and things like medication to help as well, these should be showing a, a truth about this whole situation whenever we're talking about depression. And the truth is this, depression is not a burden that you are supposed to bear alone. It's just not. You need to rely on God. You need to rely on therapy and counseling. You need to rely on people outside of yourself. Depression is not a burden to bear alone. If you try it, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it will consume you. It'll send your life into a nosedive. You need a network. You need a network of family, a network of friends, a church, 
you need someone to be able to help carry the burden with you. I, I have, I've, had, I've had situational depression in my life. I'm, I'm not chemically depressed or anything like that, but I have had situations in my life, just like all of us have, where you can go through depression. Um, but my, my mental issue of choice is anxiety. Any other anxious people? There we are. There's my, there's my anxious people. We're the people. Um, we're the people who can take the smallest tiniest little inconvenience that's happened in our day and you give us 15 minutes and the world is ending, right? Like we, we take this small little thing and it just compounds and compounds and before you know it, nothing good is in our life. Everything's going to go bad. The sky is falling, right? It's just terrible stuff. That's, that's where I'm at. That, that's my uh, struggle. But let me tell you, one of the best things that I can do whenever I feel myself falling into that rabbit hole is offload my burden. The best thing I can do is talk about it. I find a, a, a family member, a trusted family member, a trusted friend, my wife, and I offload my burden. I share it with them. And here's the thing. A lot of times, I don't even get like a solution. It's not like, here's, here's what I'm so anxious about and I don't know what's going to happen. And they go, oh, well, do X, Y, and Z. There you go. No, a lot of times, there's no solution. A lot of times there's not even talk from the other person. It's just me offloading my burden. But I'll tell you, the second I'm done, I feel lighter. I feel like, whoa. <laughs> like, we did nothing, but we did something. <laughs> like, like, nothing actually changed here in this situation, but just the process of talking about it, just the process of vocalizing it is like it transferred the burden off of just my shoulders onto now someone else who's going to be thinking about it and praying about it and caring about it. You were not meant to carry burdens by yourself. You need help. I need help. We need someone to help us carry the burden. I love how this is phrased in the book of Exodus. So Moses, think about this real quick. Moses leads God's people, the Israelites, out of the nation of Egypt they were under slavery in the nation of Egypt. Think about it. They were under slavery and subjugation for multiple centuries, hundreds of years, generation after generation after generation. All they knew was slavery. All they knew was no autonomy. All they knew was no freedom. There was, there was no decisions to make because you don't get to make a decision. You're a slave. You just go with whatever they tell you to do. Well, suddenly God delivers his people through Moses. Moses leads the people uh, out of Egypt. And now these people who used to have no autonomy and freedom suddenly do. And guess what happens whenever you have freedom and autonomy? You get to make decisions. Decisions that other people may not like. And so now there's conflicts and there's fights. And suddenly this group that never had to worry about that before has to worry about it. What do we do with all of our disagreements? So there's one man in charge, Moses. Let's take him to him. So Moses, he becomes the de facto judge of the entire nation of Israel. That's where we pick up. We're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 18. Listen to this, starting in verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning until evening. You want to talk about situational depression. Holy cow. Imagine that's your job. Nothing but hearing people's disputes and arguments with each other from sunrise to sunset every single day. That's what Moses was dealing with. Verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, and I love this question, this is so good, he asked Moses, 
What are you really accomplishing here? <laughs> what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all of this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, well, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me. I'm the one who settles the case. I inform the people of God's decrees, and I give them his instructions. Moses' father-in-law exclaimed, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God. Appoint them as leaders. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but let them bring the major cases to you. This will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice and if God commands you to do so, you'll be able to endure the pressure and these people will go home in peace. Can I just give you all a word of advice, and this is for myself too? Um, if Moses, <laughs> like one of the greatest men who's ever lived, powerful man of God, if Moses wasn't intended to bear a burden alone, what makes you think you can? <laughs> like, I mean, really. What, what in the world are we thinking that we can hit? Nope, I'm, I'm strong enough. I don't, need, I don't need to share this with you. No, I'm just going to keep, I'm just going to work through this on, on my own. Why do we do this to ourselves? All that's going to do is send us further into depression, further into anxiety when we try to handle these things on our own, and we don't share them with people. We don't give our burden to others so they can help us carry it. Most depression, it starts and it spreads because of isolation. Why do you think we're seeing a gigantic rise in all mental disorders during the pandemic? Because isolation is only making it spread more and more and more. You need a network. You need friends. You need help. We had a work day at my mom's uh, house this last weekend where we did a lot of landscaping work. Me, uh, uh, Jody, and a, a couple of guys from the church, uh, Bruce and, and uh, Dan, we had a really good time, did a lot of work. And let me tell you, it's incredible what we got done. <laughs> we, we started at 8.30, went to 1.30, like got the fire pit area done, a lot of the landscaping beds. It looks beautiful. And as we were working on it, we kept saying to each other, can you imagine how long this would take if you were doing this by yourself? <laughs> like if it was just you, this wouldn't be like a half day or a full day project. This would be a multiple weekend through the summer project to get all this stuff done because there was just so much, just so much stuff. And so you look at that and you go, wow, look at how whenever the burden is shared, the work gets done so much more efficiently and so much better. This is stuff that would have broken any one person's back doing it by themselves. But when the burden is shared, everything is better. When it comes to your mental thought life, when it comes to your mental capacity, sharing the burden makes everything better. So we need to rely on finding our truth from God. We need to be able to rely on Jesus and therapy, Jesus and medicine, and we need to be able to rely on a network of friends. And there's a common theme between all of those things, and I, I kind of want to I really want to hammer this point because this is so important. Um, all of these things, the best time to do them 
the, the uh, relying on God, relying on counseling and medication if you need it, um, relying on other people. The best time to do it is not in the middle of depression. It's right stinking now. <laughs> like, right now. Pastor Brenda always talks about uh, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time is today. <laughs> like, the best time to be doing all these things is right now. You need to be preemptively fighting depression. Preemptively fighting it. Not waiting until you're in the midst of it. Not waiting until it's knocked you down. You need to be fighting it right here and right now. Okay, I actually am going to fit in Top Gun real quick. Who, who, who knew I couldn't go a whole service without making a movie reference? There, yep, absolutely. My people, you know me. Um, I couldn't help myself. So I won't spoil the plot or anything, but one of the, one of the points of the movie is the U.S. Navy's trying to hit this um, uranium enrichment plant, right? It's underground, this uranium enrichment plant. We're not sure what country it's in. It's in some foreign country. Um, and the whole point of it, the whole reason they're trying to take this thing out is because if you enrich uranium, you can use it to make nuclear weapons, which obviously is not good, right? We, we don't want that. And so the whole point of it is we are going to strike this target before it becomes fully operational because once it does, it can hit us. So what we're going to do, we're going to hit it before it can hit us. Let me tell you, you need to be doing the same thing when it comes to depression. Hit it before it hits you. Take the fight to depression before depression can take the fight to you. I, I cannot stress this enough. For the love of God, you can't be passive. You can't. You cannot just let life happen to you because depression will enter and it may take you down farther than you ever thought it could take you. You may be sitting in here today being like, I don't know how anybody could cut. If you are not aggressive, if you are passive, you may be shocked to find out that you start to understand how people do that. That you start to understand how people have suicidal thoughts. Do not sit back. And this is why you may be passive, but your enemy isn't. He is not sitting around, and he is not waiting. He is aggressive. He knows where your goat is tied. He knows how to get you. You cannot be passive. That's why scripture, time and time and time again, you almost can't find a page that doesn't contain some kind of command, some kind of admonition to, for the love, guard your heart. Renew your mind. Set your mind on things above. Do whatever you can to filter and make sure that what's getting in here is checked. <laughs> to make sure that you are setting your mind on the things that they should be set on because you cannot be passive. You have to be aggressive. You have to be proactive. So what that means is you need to be reevaluating. Okay, what's my friend group look like? I'm not telling you to eliminate your friends and be like, well, my pastor said I can't hang out with you anymore. That's not what I'm saying. But man, you better be checking who has input into your life. Who's, who's getting to talk to you in pivotal moments? What's your friend group look like? What kind of conversations are you having? What kind of music are you listening to? Again, not saying you can't listen to all kinds of music, but what, what is dominating your playlist? What, what kind of media are you consuming? What kind of shows are you watching? Like, people be like, man, I'm deprived. just going through depression. I just finished binge-watching Ozark on Netflix. It's like, well, no wonder you're depressed. Like, it's one of the most depressing shows that there is. Of course you're depressed, right? We, we, we consume all these things that are so depressing, that are so dark, that are just so hopeless, and then we wonder, man, why am I just feeling so, so down? Why do I feel like there's nothing good? Well, no wonder. That's all that you're watching 
the only people who are inputting into your life are constant glass half empty people who are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, overpaid on this. Uh, don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, don't know about this. Well, no wonder you're depressed. If those are your main inputs, are you guarding your heart? Are you guarding your mind? Be preemptive. Fight back and fight first. Whenever, whenever my dad died in January of 2019, I knew there would be going to be two dates that were going to be just like, ugh, this is going to be hard to get through. One was Father's Day, um, and the other is his birthday, because he died in January, so Father's Day in June, uh, and then his birthday in August. Uh, but actually, Father's Day was not bad at all, because uh, the first Father's Day without him, uh, me and my whole family, we were on vacation, we were at the beach, we were in the Outer Banks, so it, like, it just didn't even feel... I don't know, it just didn't register. It didn't feel like a normal Father's Day because we're down there, right? Like every, everything was different. So didn't really hit then. Um, but whenever we were like a month and a half out from, father, from uh, my dad's birthday, I could start to feel it. <laughs> like, you know, if there's something coming up that you're just not wanting, like just not, you're, uh, you start to feel that like lump in your throat, like just right here. And just, uh, I started feeling that way. And I'm like, oh, crap, this is going to be, <laughs> this is going to be the first really big, hard thing since his death that it's just going to be, it's just going to be difficult. Um, so what we did as a family, rather than just kind of letting that day come and go, we preemptively fought against that feeling. So what we did, we scheduled, hey, we're going to have dad's birthday dinner. We're going to go to one of his favorite places. We went to uh, Poncho's in Green. We're like, we'll go to one of his favorite places and we're going to laugh about dad. We're going to joke about him. We're going to make fun of the fact that he was such a big idiot. <laughs> like, just some of the stuff he said. We, we laughed at all the little stupid things that he would do and say, all of his little dad-isms, his dad jokes. We just, we laughed about it, and we, we laughed, and we cried, and we had a great time just talking about him and remembering him and thinking about him. And it's amazing how the blow that I thought it was going to be never ended up materializing. It just didn't. Because we proactively fought against that. We didn't just let the day happen to us, just, well, we'll see how it goes, we'll see how it goes. No, we fought back against that, and we're like, no, we know how it's going to go. <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to proactively go against this. We're not going to allow depression to get a foothold. We're not going to allow us to just spiral out of control. We're going to be proactive. You need to be proactive. Maybe that means getting a new exercise regimen, starting to go for walks. Maybe it means listening to new kinds of music, getting a few new friends in your life, people who can speak into you in a new way, in a life-giving way, setting up new routines, getting yourself into Scripture more often. Whatever you need to do, but fight. Just fight back. Take the fight to depression before depression can take the fight to you. And then this is the last thing that we're going to hit on today um, and this isn't, <laughs> this last part isn't exactly the most encouraging word in the world, but um, definitely need to hear it. If you are someone who you struggle with any of those things, um, situational depression, chemical depression, suicidal thoughts, self-harm tendencies, any of these things, the statistics bear out and show that this is a lifelong thing. Like it's not, it's not like, oh, I battled you know, suicidal thoughts for a year, but I'm, I'm 10 years down the road, never had one again. That's not generally how it works. So, I mean, God can absolutely work a miracle, but the whole point of a miracle is the fact that it's the exception, not the rule, right? So God can work a miracle, but generally speaking, if you've had suicidal thoughts, they will crop up from time to time through the rest of your life. Um, if you've self-harmed, chances are you will relapse again in the future. Like it's not, 
Hey, nope, did it whenever I was in high school. Never again, never again. Just never even remotely had the urge. Chances are it's something you'll battle the rest of your life. Depression is, I mean, obviously, if it's chemical depression, it's something that you may need medication for the rest of your life. If it's situational depression, you will go through those situations the rest of your life from time to time. Um, It's not a one-time fight. These are constants in life. But here is the thing. Knowing that at least allows you to fight back realistically, to at least know what you're up against, to not ignore the reality of things. Because when you know that's true, then you can say this, that depression may be a constant in your life, but it's not going to be the conclusion of my life. That, yes, depression will constantly be with me. Yes, I may constantly have these thoughts. Yes, I may constantly be anxious. I may constantly deal with these things, but I will constantly fight back against them, and I'm never going to allow them to just be the conclusion of my life. That, well, I guess I'm just a depressed person. Well, I guess I'm just an anxious person. Well, I guess I'm always going to just have to live with this. No, I'm going to always fight back against it. I'm going to continually fight back and bring the fight to depression before it brings the fight to me. It makes me think of the story of uh, Admiral James Stockdale. Uh, He's the highest ranking prisoner of war during the Vietnam War on the uh, U.S. side. Uh, He was an admiral. He was taken. He spent time. They called it the Hanoi Hilton. Um, It was a prison camp uh, in in Vietnam. Uh, Just atrocious what they did to prisoners of war there, the way that they treated them, the way that they uh, uh, did things to them. Uh, Admiral Stockdale, they, they beat the tar out of all the other prisoners, but they tried to keep him looking as pristine as he could since he was an admiral for propaganda reasons. He would cut his own face to make sure that they couldn't do that. I mean, it was just incredible what this man went through. He was there for years of his life before uh, the war was over and he was freed. Um, and whenever he came back, uh, obviously he, he wrote a book about his experiences and he's been interviewed by so many people. One person who interviewed him, Jim Collins, he, he was interviewing him and he, he asked him, he's like, hey, I just want to find out, like I know, I know you survived and you were in there for years of your life and I know other people survived with you, but all, all the people who didn't make it, all the people who died in there, what's, like if you can, what's the common denominator between all of them? between the people who, who weren't able to make it. Uh, and Admiral Stockdale said something that completely shocked Jim Collins. Admiral Stockdale said, I, yeah, there was a common denominator. All the people who didn't make it out, they were optimists. <laughs> Jim Collins is like, wait, what? Like the optimists didn't make it out? Like, are you understanding my question correctly? He's like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, the optimists weren't able to make it, and here's why, because every single time we'd be in there, um, we'd, we'd get someone new in, and they'd be like, you know what, I bet we're going to be out of here by Christmas. By Christmas, this will be over, we'll be out, and then Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and then they'd say, hey, you know what, Easter, we'll be out by Easter, and then Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then they say, hey, okay, <laughs> By the end of summer, I guarantee you, there's no way. There's, we've been in here so long, there's no way by the end of summer we're still in here. And then summer would come, and summer would go, and before you know it, you're back at Christmas again. And Admiral Sockdale said, I kid you not, Jim, those men died of a broken heart because they were optimists. 
because they kept trying to say, this is when we're going to be out. I know this is when it's going to happen. I know this is exactly how it's going to play out. He said, the people who survived were the people who, like me, told them, hey, look, you need to understand the facts on the ground here. We will not be out by Christmas. We will not be out by Easter. And we will not be out by the end of summer. The sooner you accept that fact, the more likely you are to make it. You see, Admiral Stockdale was emphasizing you cannot live in in this reality, this fake reality where everything is sunshine and rainbows and, hey, I bet we'll be out by this day. No, you need to embrace the reality of the situation. You need to be able to embrace the hard, brutal facts. And the facts are you may deal with this stuff the rest of your life. But Admiral Stockdale said, but here's, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to be a pessimist. I was able to embrace the most brutal facts of my current reality while at the same time never losing faith in the end of my story. I will not die in here. I know that. I know how my story ends. My story ends and it doesn't end with me dying in this POW camp. It doesn't. So I was able to manage the tension of on one hand embrace the reality of the most brutal situation that I'm in while at the same time knowing my story is not going to end here. That is how you fight depression. (laughs) Not by acting like it's not a thing, not by la, 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 I'll just pray it away, I'll just act like this isn't even a deal. No, you need to embrace the reality of the situation and embrace how serious it is. My family, we have family, friends, incredible people, uh, uh, pastors, uh, pastors who pastored up in the Cleveland area, they're incredible people, lifelong family friends. Their son was an awesome guy, a friend of mine. I believe he was 38, and he's a, he loved Jesus, followed Jesus. I believe he was 38 years old whenever he took his own life, used a gun, and, and killed himself. Depression is real. Suicidal thoughts happen, and they're not this foreign concept that happened to, to, to just some people. This is something that affects all of us, and we've got to fight against it. We've got to be proactive against it. So, yes, we need to embrace the facts, the most brutal facts of reality, that this is a real thing that we really do have to deal with while at the same time not losing faith in the end of our story. And this is what that faith looks like. It's the faith that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon from the Apostle Paul. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time God said to me, my grace is what you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I can boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me That's why I can take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and in the hardships and in the persecutions and in the troubles and even in the depression that I suffer. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the hope that we can fight depression with, that we can fight anxiety with, that we can face every single battle with, that even in the midst of our weaknesses, Christ can make us strong. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.